Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Diva Strategies for Success, where each week I bring you a dynamic guest and topic. The show will soon be starting our third year in January 2015, and during that time we've had some amazing topics and guests, and you can go to the archive section of the show and at your leisure listen to any of the past shows. My name is Robbie Motter, and I am the host of the show. I also love it that I am the NAFI Western and Mid-Atlantic Regional Coordinator, and NAFI is the largest global network for women. Check them out as they are headquartered in New York. Their website is www.nafi.com. You can learn more about me and all the things I do at www.robbymotter.com. My amazing guest today is Rana Florida, who is a Chief Executive Officer. She is a CEO, author, editor, culture creator, and CEO of the Creative Class Group. Managing New Business Development, Marketing, Consulting, Research, and Global Operations. The firm's clients include BMW, Starwood, IBM, Philips, Pinewood Studios, Zappos, and Johnson and & Johnson, just to name just a few. She has more than two decades of experience in corporate strategy, communications, marketing, and branding. She previously directed global strategic communications for HMS Host, one of the world's largest airport developers, where she led all marketing, advertising, communication efforts. She has appeared as a guest on the Today Show and writes your startup life, a business advice column for the Huffington Post, where she answers readers' questions and interviews successful creatives and leaders such as President Bill Clinton, Tory Burch, Mark Cuban, Mario Batali, Dan Pink, and others. Rana is the author of Upgrade, Taking Your Life and Career from Ordinary to Extraordinary, which was published by McGraw-Hill. She also writes the Creative Spaces series for HGTV and the Huffington Huffington Post, where she highlights public and private spaces that optimize creative innovation, design, and new ways of thinking. Rana recently wrote and was featured in the business section of the New York Times. For almost a decade, Rana was an internationally syndicated advice columnist in major daily newspapers and a regular Fox News contributor for several years. She continues to work with the major media, including CNN, MSNBC, NPR, BBC, CBS, and shows such as Good Morning America, Charlie Rose, The Colbert Wrote, The uh, Report, The Today Show in 60 Minutes. Throughout her career, Rana has led her, lent her expertise to several boards, including Airports Consul International in Washington, D.C., the Consul for International Visitors, and the Founders Junior Consul, Detroit Institute of Art. She remains heavily involved in philanthropy, having served as a board member for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and as an ambassador on the CAFA board, which celebrates emerging talents in the arts and fashion, and volunteering her expertise to launch Girls E-Mentoring, whose vision is to bridge the social divide between at-risk girls and high-achieving women to motivate the next generation of leaders. Through her work with Creative Class Group, the team supports numerous charitable organizations, she is currently she is also currently on the advisory board for the online retailer Shop CA Shop California, or it might be I'm not sure if it's California or Canada. 
Uh, Rana holds a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and an MBA in Marketing and Management. Welcome, Rana. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. What is your current position as the CEO of Creative Class, and what did you do, and what do you do? Uh, Yes, so my team and I have an advisory services firm, and it's a unique combination of researchers, academics, and business leaders, as well as marketers, to help either regions um, achieve economic growth, so cities can grow and develop, or to help companies, like the ones you mentioned, target the creative class consumer, which uh, makes up one-third of the workforce, but collects half of the wages and accounts for 70% of discretionary spending. So they are a really important um, consumer for a lot of organizations, so we help with their marketing strategies as well as their research strategies. How did you get into this field? Um, Well, my husband, Richard Florida, is a best-selling author who wrote the um, international bestseller called Rise of the Creative Class, and he was really um, a demographer and urban and cities expert, but he had... So much valuable data and research, and one day when BMW had called him up and said, hey, we want you to help us devise our entire advertising campaign, can you help? Richard thought that it would be a great idea to get my business and marketing skills um, joined with his academic and research and data skills. So we launched the Creative Class Group in Washington, D.C. in 2007, and it's been going tremendously ever since. That's great. Why did you write your book, Upgrade? Uh, You know, I I looked around and I saw, myself included, so many of us living in this state of managed dissatisfaction. So I felt like we're doing okay, we're managing to get by, but with this underlying tinge of unhappiness. And it was certain things like um, an annual vacation or a new car or a slight promotion at work that lifted our spirits for a while, but then we ride the peak, and before we know it, that we're waiting for the next big wave to come through. And um, when I did a little research on this, I, my notion of managed dissatisfaction was really inspired by um, Herbert Simon's classic theory of satisficing. He was a Nobel Prize-winning economist and a pioneer in art, artificial intelligence, um, and he taught cognitive psychology at Carnegie Mellon for more than half a century. And he really... Um, was the world's foremost theorist on decision-making, and he said that the concept of satisficing is a combination of satisfy and suffice, and it was really used to describe how humans actually make decisions. Um, So he said, you know, most of our decisions are bounded, um, what he called bounded rationality. So we have limited information. We can't possibly consider every option, so we always end up satisficing, thus sacrificing the best for what's good enough. And I feel like a lot of us were taught to go to school, get good grades, work hard, land a great job, and um, get on that corporate track. And I was doing that. I did all those things, and I, I wasn't happy with that. I was making a lot of money, but I had no control over my time or schedule. I had crazy psycho bosses. I was working all the time, and it just felt like this is what society taught us to do, and it was it didn't feel right. It didn't feel good enough. So... I took a big leap of faith and um, joined my husband in launching this company, and it was a really rude awakening for me because there wasn't a human resources department to call for employee relation help. There wasn't a graphic and marketing department to help with design. There wasn't an IT department to call for support. 
And I was really working from home in my fuzzy slippers trying to launch this global business. And I realized that I was much happier having control over my time and schedule, not having to report to crazy psycho bosses, and really trying to pioneer new and innovative ways of doing things for my team and I. They always say if you do what your passion is, that you're, it's just the best thing in life. And, you know, as you start doing it, you realize that, and that's what you're, you're doing. You're doing your passion now, so that is fabulous. Yeah, and even, um, you know, so I, I wrote the book because I really wanted to learn from a number of other people. So I started interviewing a wide range of people for my column at the Huffington Post. So um, my column po- is about business and leadership and entrepreneurship. So I wanted to get a number of different inputs on on this process of passion and risk-taking and failure and so I interviewed a wide range of people from President Bill Clinton to tennis star Andre Agassi to fashion designer Tory Burch to world-renowned architect Zaha Hadid to an amazing graffiti artist Kenny Scharf um, to so many other people, mayors and governors and singers and authors and thinkers, and I really wanted this wide range of inputs. And what I found after a number of these interviews was that it really dis- your life, increasing your life's happiness and achieving your life goals really distilled down to seven key, um, seven key lessons that I learned from all of these people, and that's why I wrote the book. So I said, I, if I've interviewed this many amazing people and they all have the same lessons, I've got to put them in a book. So what are the seven lessons you learned? Um, so I think um, the first one really is to envision your future. So, and it's a really simple exercise, but not enough of us do it because we just get too caught up in in life. So uh, we don't take time out to think about what we really want our future to look like. So ask yourself the five key questions of, uh, you know, what do you want to do and how do you want to get there? So. It was interesting, the people that I interviewed was, even if their first job wasn't what they wanted it to be, they used it to take away lessons and reinforce their vision of the future. So make sure that you set a path and push forward despite the endless objections and naysayers that you'll get along the way. Um, So envision the future is really number one. Um, Number two is your passion, and there are two camps here. There are a few lucky people who actually get paid to do the things for which they have a great passion. Then there are the rest of us who need to do something else to earn a paycheck. But either way, it's essential that you identify what makes you happy and find a way to incorporate it into your life and your career through your free time. So uh, if your passion is animals but you're an accountant, find a way to volunteer in an animal shelter or the Humane Society. Whatever your passion is, figure out a way to incorporate it into your life. Um, I think the third one that was really interesting is creativity is really key to everything that we do. So it's no longer to it's no longer acceptable to go along with the status quo. And successful leaders that I interviewed really understood that creativity requires diversity and a wide range of people together who have a wide range of perspectives and ways of doing things. So creativity is really key to um, keep innovating and developing and growing. Um, and then the fourth one's really interesting, protecting your time. Um, a lot of us uh, get caught up in just saying yes to everyone and everything, but time is really more important than money and possessions. It's the one thing you can never get back, something you can't buy, barter, or borrow, and once it's gone, it's gone for good. So the leaders that I interviewed really protect their time fiercely and selfishly. 
Uh, so that was an interesting. Uh, fifth was collaboration. Uh, really successful leaders, you might imagine, can do it all, but they realize they can't do it all, and they really surround themselves with partners and teammates who can maximize their results. So collaboration is very key in business and in life. Uh, n number six was taking risk. Uh, without risk, there is no innovation, and I think um, most successful leaders were were fine to throw caution to the wind and just go for it. Um, and then lastly, embracing failure is part of the process. And, you know, humans learn through trial and error, and that's the only way to really reinvent and grow. So failure is, was not looked upon as an evil black mark. It was something that was really embraced and a time to reflect and grow. So those are the seven lessons that I learned from a wide range of people, and uh, that's essentially why I wrote the book. And you can read about them in more detail in the book. That is great. Uh, why do you feel that managing one's time is so important? Um, you know, a lot of us just get caught up in saying yes to everything. And, um, you know, the Boston Globe called it America's uh, new epidemic. We're too busy. We're too rushed. You know, you ask someone how they are today, and, and they say, crazy busy. Everyone says, crazy busy. And um, it's the goal in life should be, you know, they call it the epidemic is called time famine. So we're rushing around, we're going crazy, we don't have enough time for anything that really matters. And the goal in life should really be time affluence, to get rich in time. Um, studies show that the more time that you feel that you have, the more mental health and well-being you'll have overall. And why do you see that taking risks are key to living an upgraded life? Um, you know, so I, I like to say risky business is good business. Um, you know, but for a lot of people, accepting and taking risk can can um, severe, take a severe emotional toll. It causes fear and confusion. It can also lead to stress and fatigue. And a lot of people go through life saying, life is already risky. Why should we rock the boat? But most successful leaders and thinkers understand that new opportunities and rewards only come after taking risks. And, you know, Facebook's motto is move fast and break things, meaning it's okay to take a chance on several things at once. Uh, but the harsh reality is that most of us are not rewarded at work for taking risks. Uh, and we found that curiosity is stifled in a risk-free environment. And if workers are afraid of getting laughed at for their ridiculous ideas, any number of important inventions won't ever see the light of day. Um, so I heard uh, this guy who runs the um, Applied Science Group at Microsoft speak at this creativity conference in Washington, D.C. last year, and he said a really interesting thing. He said the seatbelt would have never been created if he didn't encourage risk-taking. So he says his job is really to encourage everyone at Microsoft to take lots of risks. And the person who invented the seatbelt was actually laughed at for his idea when he first introduced it. And it actually didn't come of age until 10 years later when it was finally accepted. So I think uh, risk-taking um, should be in cultural DNA because new discoveries and innovations won't happen without it. Um, what are your views on failure? Um, you know, so everyone's writing about failure lately, which is really interesting. And even in Silicon Valley, um, they say everyone has to, entrepreneurs have to have on their CV a failure before they're accepted into a new organization. And there's even a conference now called FailCon, 
which talks about everyone's failures. Um, but the interesting thing is like, we're brought up to get good grades, get on the right sports team, score the winning goal. And if we don't, you know, get in the right class, we don't get into a good school, we don't get into a good school, we don't get a good job, we don't get a good job, we'll be living at home with mom and dad for the rest of our lives. So we set children up from a very early age to believe that only success is rewarded in society, even when it comes to school or work. Um, but it's un very unlike the way we actually learn. Um, so I think we have to reset our definition of failure um, instead of looking at it as a setback or something we haven't been able to accomplish or shameful black mark, we should try to look at it as an opportunity to learn something new. And I read um, something interesting on Sarah Blakely, who is the female billionaire of the company called Spanx, the undergarment company. Um, she said when she came home every day from school and she was a child, her father would ask her, what did she fail at today? And it was um, it was actually a turning point in her life where he made it clear that failure was something good, something that you tried something new, you approached something new, and he he made it clear that it was actually a good thing. And failure is actually at the heart of of science and new discovery and innovations. They all come out of trial and error, and it's a fundamental method of problem solving. So um, really just trying to find out what works and the expectation of discovering what does, and that's at the heart of the creative process. And I think if we want to promote creativity and innovation in our workplaces or in our life, we really have to honor and accept mistakes, and that includes false starts and dead ends. Hmm. What lessons on leadership did you learn from President Bill Clinton? Um, he it was an amazing interview. He um, he actually told me that his first job was as a comic book salesperson in a grocery store at a very young age, and um, he actually said he learned he gained a lot of confidence by by being an entrepreneur and making his own income. Wow. Well, what does lead by serving mean to you? Um, this is a really interesting concept that I learned from um, the CEO of the Mayo, Mayo Clinic, the very famous um, hospital, and it was by Dr. John Noseworthy, who um, was CEO and a doctor, and he said he studies the Robert Greenleaf model of servant leadership. He said his style is to really surround himself with really smart people and then to listen to them while encouraging the team to think and act boldly. Um, so he thinks it's really his job to uh, serve his staff and mentor his employees, help them grow and develop. So leadership is not this approach where the boss is sitting at the top of the pyramid, wagging his finger, telling everyone to work harder. It's really helping the team develop and grow, mentoring them, and letting them step up and take the lead. Uh, I notice you like you do a lot of work with media outlets. Why do you like to work with media outlets? Um, I've always been attracted to news and media, and I think um, getting your ideas out there into public debate and dialogue is how I learn and grow. Um, so really the inputs from a collective community I think is really important to helping shape my own ideas and thoughts. Uh, you, you, you've been on a lot of TV shows. What TV show did you enjoy the most as a guest and why? Um, the Today Show was always fun. Um, I was on the Today Show a few times, once with Meredith Vieira, who's a veteran news journalist, and that was a lot of fun to talk to her about my book and some of my business concepts. 
Um, and then uh, the team at the, on the cycle on MSNBC is a really fun team, and they're witty and they're hilarious, and they have a lot of sparring jokes back and forth. So both of those are really fun. How can people get your book? And tell us a little bit more about the book. Sure. It's um, it's available on our website at creativeclass.com or on Amazon. Um, and I was excited that it was a tattered cover best business seller last year. So I think there's some really great lessons that you can either apply to your current job or to your personal life, or even if you're looking to start your own business, I think there are a lot of great tips for small business owners and entrepreneurs as well. Um, do you speak for groups or events? And if so, how can people learn your topics and get in touch with you? Um, I'm available on Twitter at Rana Florida or by email at Rana at creativeclass.com. I do speak on marketing, business, entrepreneurship, and leadership. Um, you can reach me through the email or the website or one of several speaking agencies. And it's R-A-N-A, right? Yes, at creativeclass.com. Um, what key thing would you like to leave uh, leave with the audience? Uh, you know, I think that it's never too late to make a change in your life. You know, I think people are always happier having made changes, whether it's when you're 20 or whether you're 16. A lot of people think that, you know, they're afraid to take uh, an amazing risk and that you need to have a lot of money or a lot of time or a safety net, and, and I don't think that you need all that. I think waiting for retirement at, you know, age 60 or 65 to do all the things that you wanted to do does, just doesn't make sense. It's you're, You have your health while you're young and you have all of your passion and excitement while you're young. Putting that off for for this this system that society created for us doesn't make sense. So really just trailblazing your own way and going for it is what's really key. So tell us a little bit about the online retailer, Shop California, that you're on and on the advisory board for. Um, it's actually Shop.ca is Canada. So the U.S. has Amazon, which is amazing, and I order everything on Amazon to save lots of time because I think time is so important. Um, and it's actually, as I wrote in the book, there are only three things to do with your time. And if if it falls out of these three things, then I don't think you should do it. But the first is have fun. So for sure you should have fun. Go shopping, get a spa, go on an adventure, go on vacation, go backpacking. Whatever your idea of fun is, please indulge in it. Two is um, be productive. So go to school, go to work, start a business, work on your health, work on your fitness. Just find ways to be as productive as possible. And then three is um, to give back. So to give to a charity, to volunteer your time, to help the elderly, to raise children, to educate or to help uh, with nursing people back to health. So giving back really helps us feel more satisfied with our lives as well. And, and the key is to strike a balance between those three buckets. And anything that falls out of those buckets should really be eliminated from your life. And that's, um, that's one of the easiest time management tips that we can all put into effect right away because there are many things that we do just to waste time or fill up time, but if you focus on those three buckets, it'll really optimize your life. I noticed you mentioned that you learned a lot, some lessons on passion from Andre Agassi. What, I could see, what were some of the things you learned from him? 
You know, the interesting thing about Andre Agassi was I, you know, I watched him play tennis so many times. His achievements on the tennis court are easy to count, eight Grand Slam titles, an Olympic gold medal, and 60 titles overall. He was only one of five male single players to achieve a career Grand Slam and a victory in all four Grand Slams, Wimbledon, the Australian Open, the French Open, the U.S. Open. He was um, inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame recently, a few years ago, as well as the U.S. Open Court of Champions. And I had no idea that he hated tennis. It was amazing. And so that lesson from him was key. So he really taught me that it's not about passion. And he said, he said, make it part of a larger project for which you do feel passion. So when he said when he, he realized he wasn't born to play tennis, that he was made to play tennis, his father actually made him play tennis, he searched for other things to feel more deeply and emotionally connected, like education. So he made education a part of his tennis work. And he, he told me that anyone can do this with any job. So if you don't like the task at hand, per se, Make it about your family and make it about serving others or make it simply about being conscientious. Make it about something other than your own fleeting wants and needs. Um, so when he retired from the game in 2006, he shifted his focus to his true passion, education reform, and he started the Andre Agassi Foundation for Education and opened a charter school in West Las Vegas, his hometown. And I think he raised something like almost $177 million for its mission. So... That's a passion that's made a real difference in the lives of so many children. So that was a really interesting lesson. So what's next for you? What do you, what is in the future that you see or that you'd like to achieve? Um, there, I have this long list of constant things that I want to do. You know, I'd love to write another book on energy, um, obsessed with the idea of how people gain energy, how they use their energy, and how they focus and get more energy. I think everyone on the market is trying to pawn off the next green juice or vitamin mix or cleanse or uh, vitamin B12 cocktail to to pump up energy. And the more productive our society gets, the more energy everyone wants. So I'm really excited about starting that next project. Well, that's good. So anything else you want to leave with us? We just have a couple minutes left. Um. I just think um, I think also that creativity is key to everything that we do, and I think um, listening to some of the experts, I concluded that as we get older, creativity is squelched out of us, and creativity really grows in a yes environment. Um, so, and it's a prerequisite for success. So, I think um, when I interviewed Sir Ken Robinson, who's this creativity expert, and I think his TED Talk was the most watched TED Talk of all time, um, he really thinks that we're educating education, we are educating people out of their creative capacities, and um, I think that we really need to try to get that back, and I think that we can do that in a number of different ways. Instead of just conforming to the status quo, constantly thinking about new, innovative, cool ways to do things is key, and I think you know, he, he talked about in his TED Talk how schools kill creativity. Um, and now it's an important as education is literacy and that we should treat it with the same status. Um, and a lot of times when, you know, he noted that a group of 1,600 children, I think between the ages of three and five, were tested for their ability to think in out-of-the-box ways. 98% of them achieved positive scores, but by the time they were just a few years older, eight to ten, the percentage had fallen to a dramatic 32%. 
And then tragically, when the same test was administered to use between the ages of 13 and 15, only 10% could think creatively. So I think um, we are focused at schools and at work and in life, really encouraging children to take risks, to accept failure, to think creative is really a very important process. Yeah, that's that's true, so true. Everybody should get her book, Upgrade, Taking Your Life and Career from Ordinary to Extraordinary, and you can get it from Amazon. And also, uh, give them your website again. Creativeclass.com, and I'm on Twitter at Rana Florida. Are you on Facebook as well? Uh, Facebook, Rana Florida, Instagram, Rana Florida. You can find me on any social media. Okay, well, I want... I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. What great information. And I look forward to reading your book. I'm sure there's some great things in it. And keep doing what you're doing and keep working with those girls at e-mentoring because they're our future, that's for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. And have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye.